Go ahead and grab a seat, everybody. Good morning. And um, I'm going to do a little bit of moving things around <laughs> while I talk to you. We're going to take our offering. So if you are part of knocking cellos over, we need an offering for the cello. Just kidding. <laughs> if you're part of this ch- church, this community, um, be part of uh, this with us. This is a great way to do it. Um, I want to share a couple little bits of announcements. Um, the youth team is working on the fall events. And so if you missed last week, um, Jaden kind of gave us an update on his journey and youth journey. And so if you would like more information, you just grab Jaden. He'll be drinking coffee. I'm sure somewhere around here. Um, Also wanted to share just some quick little building things. If you missed last week, we are uh, moving ahead with a few repairs on the outside of our building and um, taking it really conservative. And then we are going to begin to orient our church gathering um, down on the west side of the building, hopefully in late November. So by our birthday, which is November 20th. So there's just a few painting and moving things and all that coming up in our future. We just wanted to give you an update. We're not going to be able to do everything to make this building perfect. That's not the point. The point is just to um, begin to expand out and use more space. That way the youth can be in here on Sundays and it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, I also do want to mention, I shared with you last week that um, one of our dear friends, Van Wilson, passed away. And if you've been a part of this church for um, maybe over three years or so, uh, you would have known Van and Lisa. And um, it was a shock to us. It's still a shock to us. Um, We are celebrating and mourning together um, as a community um, this Friday at 9 a.m. It's going to be up at Flatirons Church. And so I have actually a digital invitation, if you would like that. I can send that to you. We'll probably send something out formally. But um, yeah, that's coming up. It's just part of the heartache of life. And this has kind of caught us. um, It's really caught us by surprise. So, um, But I'm going to pray, and we are going to get started and um, get our minds focused in on where we're headed this morning. God, we're grateful to be together in this space. I'm grateful for the joy in this room and yet just the reality that life is hard, that we all come into this place with all these things. Um, I'm grateful for this worship team that comes in early every Sunday to practice, um, to prepare their hearts to lead us. And for all the people downstairs working with our children, we're just grateful for this community. God, continue to show us what it looks like to be intentional in our gathering and and to prepare ourselves to gather together. For some of us, that takes a lot to prepare, especially depending on what's happening in our lives. So guide our time this morning as we open our hearts up to what it looks like to rest. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Last week, there was the invitation 
for us to enter what the early church called the catechumenate. And that is a process by which we are um, practicing what it looks like to follow Jesus. And for the people of the early church, there was two other ways of living. There was the Jewish way, which was more in isolation. And there was the Roman way, which was just a buffet of gods. And this way of Jesus was really called the third way. And it disrupted a lot. Not out of some, you know, desire to disrupt, but out of a sincere desire to follow the way of Jesus, the life that Jesus had on offer. We talked about silence and solitude last week. We talked about how hard that is. My question to you is, is anybody, did anybody try to practice some silence and solitude last week? And if you did, was it difficult? I see a few head nods. <laughs> It's a difficult thing. It doesn't come naturally to us. Um, and so, but it's part of how we can, in a sense, counter the formation that's in our lives. Everything is about noise for us. So I told you last week that we're all being formed in our life, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Some of our formation, uh, most of our formation, if we're really honest, comes unintentionally. It's just going about our life, radio on, podcast, news, things like that, or the, the messages we get with the circle of friends that we keep, whatever it is, we're being formed. And um, there is a way to intentionally form how we live. Now, my intention, unintentional formation, um, part of my unintentional form, just a piece of it, because I'm not that obsessed, but just a piece of my unintentional formation is Dwayne The Rock Johnson's Instagram feed. Anybody follow Dwayne The Rock Johnson on Instagram? Okay. You're all gonna now. Dwayne, well, let's just call him The Rock because that's way cooler. The Rock is, um, he's got a hustle. And if you, once you, you get a, a picture, I mean, he's literally in every movie right now. Um, he has his own tequila line, which is pretty good, you know. Um, just saying. Um, he's got his own sports drink, like an energy drink. But his, his, when you, you get a feel for this guy's life, in, in, his, in his Instagram, like he's obviously putting his hustle out there, and it's like... He's on, a, he's on a private jet to this shoot, and he's doing this, and then he sets up a gym wherever he's working on a movie so that he can get his lift on. And if you didn't know this, he also has his own workout line that you see, like it's the, the deal with the bull and the horns and the, you know, guys at my gym have these shirts on that are so dumb looking. They're like, they're like sleeveless with hoods. You ever seen these? Come on, guys. I'm just... If you've got one, Brandon looks like he's guilty over here. But the point is, it's like, and then some of, them, some of them have hardest worker in the room. Like, which is funny, because if you have to tell people you're the hardest worker in the room, may not be. 
But anyhow, that's besides the point. The point is, is his Instagram feed is like, you just go, oh, he does a lot. And he's really good at all the things he does. And I'm not doing that much compared to him. And he has these cheap, the best part of his thing is his cheap meals. Like, they are hilarious. They're like 30 pancakes and like, you know, it's just crazy. But the, the point is, is like, in his comments, for his little pictures and stuff and the things he's doing, in his comments, people are like, Dwayne, we love you. You need to rest. Like, one guy's like, I'm an actual doctor. And your sleep is not good. Your, your fervor for life is great. We love all that. But you are going too hard. We don't want you to just die. And I think that's hilarious that like his community that he's trying to portray his hustle to is telling him to slow down. But it's interesting, right? Because we're formed by the things in our lives and, and whether it's celebrities or things like that, but our world is one big cycle of exhaustion. It's just never stopping. It's 24-7. It's go, 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 go. But what would it look like as a church community together to desire to become a culture that rests well? A culture that rests as, as a prophetic witness, okay, of the promise of rest that Jesus brings. Like, how, how, how could it look to a culture that is nonstop, go, 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 three hours of sleep, sports, you know, pro, you know like, a, uh, like a caffeine hit, you know? What would it look like to that culture to be, a, 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 in a sense, um, a counter movement, a subversive community to the pace of the world. So today we're going to be talking about rest, and this is a hard one. We all know we need it, but we have this internal can't stop, won't stop. But if the way of Tov is good and functional, like we've been talking about, this idea that God created us, God created everything and said it was good. And that word good isn't just, it's good, but that word good means something bigger, functional. Then we're intended to function with rest. We're actually intended to function out of rest, not collapse into rest. Listen to these. This is a snapshot of scripture. Some of it we've uh, read, but let me just read some of this. Genesis 2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, set apart. Because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Verse 11. For in, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it 
holy. Mark chapter 2. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Luke 23. He came from a Judean town of Arimathea. This is talking about Joseph of Arimathea. And he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in the tomb, cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. There's a lot of beauty in this we'll get into. Hebrews 4, chapter nine, uh, verse 9, sorry. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. How exhausted and burned out are you? I heard a yes. <laughs> Scale of one to ten. Right where you're sitting. <laughs> now, those of you with three children, you're probably going to put up a lot of fingers. How exhausted and burned out are you? I want you to feel it. Yes, you can use toes. <laughs> Here's a burnout definition I came across the other day. If exhaustion means going to the point where you, can, you can't go any further, burnout means reaching that point and pushing yourself to keep going, whether for days or weeks or years. So one sociologist and psychologist put it this way, burnout has three, uh, in a sense, stages to it. The first one is exhaustion. Mentally, emotionally, physically. You probably may, you may have said it this week, I am emotionally exhausted. The next stage is cynicism, where you just get to this point where you just don't feel. Remember my conversation about not feeling in my life I've had? Um, you get to this point where you're just doing the bare minimum and you're almost robotic. And then the third one is blame. You start to blame yourself. You start to, what is wrong with me? Why can't I do things like I used to? Why can't I have a conversation with this person? Why can't I just, small things. And you blame yourself. A friend of mine said this, burnout is when your soul can no longer bear the weight of your life where you feel like you're just shriveling up. Now, the uniquely Christian problem with burnout is that we've actually adopted this theology of progress, even as Christians. This is where we've kind of been formed by culture. We think that everything, and it's really embedded, think about it, it's embedded in our life as Americans and and go, go, go mentality, bigger and better, achieve, progress, We think that everything has to be up and to the right forever. If it's not progressing, we're doing something wrong. If we're not solving something, we're doing something wrong. If things are not getting more convenient, and then we always think that tomorrow will be more perfect than today. It's the theology of progress. But what if progress is actually an idol? that we worship without really even speaking it. No one says, I worship progress. But we live functionally like we worship progress. 
And if I can just, and think about this, if I can just get the next thing, right, that next stage, if I can get to that, and then parents in the room, you're feeling this, if I can get to that next parenting stage, if we can just get past potty training, if we can just get to when they go to school all day, if we can just get to fill in the blank. Now, some of you don't have kids, haven't, you know, haven't, or, or you have in the past, you might be thinking, if we can get, just get to a place where this happens or, or this financial security, if we just get to a place where we have a bigger house or whatever, we can't rest. We think to ourselves, we can't rest until this is accomplished. There's always this drive to suffer for the future. That good and perfect future. And we always want to get out of the now and get into the future. The problem is that the future always vanishes into the present. I don't know if you've noticed that. <laughs> it always vanishes into the present. So what do we do? The problem is, is we have technology now. And you, think about this. For those of you who've uh, been around a while or you've seen t- technology progress, in the 50s, we had the supercomputer kind of thing coming along where... Listen, the things that we carry in our pockets were more powerful than that, whatever that thing was. <laughs> whatever that, how, whatever it was. Remember how? The point is, some of you are like, what are you talking about? And the dream was, sociologists told us that we, would gonna, we were going to move from a 40-hour to a 30-hour work week. Wow, Right? And then um, that we would be like the French and we would have like six months off every year. We would just, we traded though. Oh, and then one day, I think someone said like, I was in like the late 50s, uh, someone, someone made this bold prophetic prediction that we, one day we were going to be able to work from home. We're just like, don't do it. Yeah, like, like but you know, it, it doesn't solve anything, right? We traded. We value things differently now. Back then, they valued time. We value money. And so now we have more time. We can make more money because we can have more stuff. So the topography of our lives, if we're really exa- uh, honest, is exhaustion. I was living in a, um, in a world of exhaustion last spring, and I came across uh, this quote from Henry Nouwen, and he says this, He says, I was living in a very dark place, and the term burnout was a convenient psychological translation for spiritual death. This idea of, if tov is life, exhaustion, spiritual burnout is death. Hebrews 4 says, and yet there remains a rest for the people of God. There is still in front of us no matter where you're sitting, no matter if you're counting fingers and toes, (laughs) it's an invitation to rest. It's an invitation to a resurrected kind of life, an invitation to a rhythm that actually I believe when you begin to practice it, as very difficult as it is, you will experience relief. Almost like When you have a wound or an insect bite and you put some salve on it and you immediately feel better. I think that's for us. 
I think that's what is on offer. Now, Sabbath rest, what it is not, it's not a vacation. Some of you I've talked to after the summer and you're like, I need a vacation from my vacation. Vacations aren't Sabbath. Binge watching the office while glorious is not a Sabbath. Okay? Your favorite hobby doesn't mean you are Sabbathing. There could be some achievement in you with that. Genesis talks about God resting from his labor. Now think about the order of creation. It says in Genesis 2, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. What was day six? God created humanity. God created Adam, Eve, this this flourishing couple living in Tov. Their first day alive was what? Sabbath. They didn't start off working and then God goes, okay, now that you've finished six days, I want you to rest. Their first day was Sabbath. Their first day was rest with delight. A.J. Swoboda, um, I don't know if this is going to be on the screen because I've added some things as I've gone along, but um, he wrote a great book called Subversive Sabbath, and it's fantastic. He writes this, humanity had only God's goodness to celebrate, nothing more. Work had not even begun. The Sabbath teaches us that we do not work to please God. Rather, listen to this, we rest because God is already pleased with the work he has accomplished in us. Now, that order is really important. When we say things, you can't, you can't make God love you more. <laughs> like, we really mean that. That's what Sabbath is. And so if the intent of tov, this whole idea, is, is this Hebrew word that we just translate good, it actually means something better. Here's my definition. Uh, the Hebrew word tov does not mean merely pleasant and pleasurable. It means capable of, presently engaged in the process of, and destined for completely fulfilling the divine purpose for which it was created. A lot of times what happens in churches is we start with sin. We start with Genesis 3. We start with you're a sinner. And there's truth to our brokenness. There's truth to our sin. There's all that kind of stuff. But I love how scripture starts with how it was supposed to be. How we were intended. And we were intended to experience a better picture of life. A life that functions well. And so when you fast forward to Exodus, the people of God were in slavery in uh, Egypt And they were working seven days a week, nonstop, cranking out, cranking out, cranking out. And when God tells the people, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It was his promise of leaving slavery. My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Rest is the context for which we experience God's presence. But note that the people of God keep going 
They get into the promised land, but rest always seems elusive to them. Rest from labor, rest from their enemies. See, you and I, we experience the fatigue of fall because it always finds us. Fatigue always finds us. So when Jesus shows up and he, and he shares this taste of what it looks like, he says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. Remember this whole idea of presence? And, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that's Eugene Peterson's interpretation in the book, in the, in the message. So this idea of rest is really a loaded term. It's this idea of rest for our souls, rest from labor, rest from our enemies. And to keep the Sabbath is to give time and space on our calendars for the grace of God to flourish in our lives. Now, all of this has to do, we've been playing around with Psalm 23 um, the last few weeks, if you've been paying attention, we've been reading it in the benediction. We've been reading it before uh, our gathering starts. This idea that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in, re in green pastures. Listen to that. He makes me lie down. <laughs> God wants to make you lie down in green pastures. He doesn't say, hey, if you think about it, you might want to consider lying down. No, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind, beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He restores our soul. What is interesting, it's connected to Sabbath rest. Jesus fulfills all the rest that the Old Testament speaks of in regards of Sabbath. So when you fast forward to this idea Right after that passage I just read you about Jesus, you know, the Eugene Peterson passage, there's a passage, there's a story about the Sabbath. There's a story, and he, right after he says, come to me, all those who are weary, and then there's this interchange with the Pharisees in the Sabbath, and he says this in verse 8 of Matthew 12, he says, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So the restoration, the restoring of your soul has to do with rest. It's connected to rest. It's not connected to Netflix. It's not connected to, um, you know, all those things that we think will restore us. In that rhythm of Hebrews 4, there remains a rest for the people of God. And if you're worried and burned out and weary and exhausted, built into the fabric of creation is rest. We build our lives around a rhythm of rest. And some of you are sitting here going, Ryan, I was taught that we don't have to, that's legalism. That's a rule that you don't have to follow anymore. Like we don't have to rest anymore. We don't, have to, we don't have to observe the Sabbath anymore. It's all grace. And I'll just be honest with you. 
I was taught that in sermons. I was literally taught that. People would tell me, he abolished the Sabbath. No, Jesus did not abolish the Sabbath. He fulfilled it. Over and over again, he heals and restores on the Sabbath. I met a new friend this week, and he shared with me this line. I love it. He says, don't let the work of your soul become your side hustle. Don't let the work of your soul become your side hustle. Meaning your part-time job on the side. Does that make sense? How we practice the reality of the rest that Jesus offers is really important. We habituate a calendar, our calendars around it. And when you think back to the early church, like I said, they didn't do everything perfect. They were kind of a mess in many places. But one one scholar, Alan Kreider, he, he, and this is something I've used before often, he says, clearly the early Christians thought that their way of life was important. For lifestyle is not the only product, is, is not the only product of belief. It is a display of what people truly believe. Do we truly believe that God meets us in our rest? Or do we think that God only meets us in our achievement? In our go, go, go? The Christian lifestyle, he goes on to say, embodies their habitus, meaning the reflexes that reveal the inner character that resulted from their conversion. Their habits were born out of their conversion to God, that they began to live the kind of way that patterned after Jesus. So we set our week around a rhythm of rest. Maybe it's on Sunday. Maybe it's Saturday. Maybe for some of you were kind of retail kind of things. Maybe it's a Tuesday. But the idea is to stop working. Stop achieving. Stop producing so that you can rest. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But it's funny, it's the one, it's the one we brag about breaking. Like no one goes around, dude, murdered a guy today, it was awesome. No one does that. Maybe, maybe somewhere. But we go around all the time bragging about how fast our life moves and the things we're doing, where we're going, and what we're achieving. We're, oh, we love ourselves for it. So, two things that Deuteronomy says was remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. The way God's free people would live into their freedom was to Sabbath. Angela and I have kind of started playing around with how to do this together. Because our lives are little different week rhythms and hobbies and different things that we have. We're not experts. Don't look at me like I'm an expert in this. This is something I'm just getting into a bit. Um, I tend to overfunction in life, um, especially when I'm anxious. Um, and so I just want you to know that there's, there is a time when we have to just go, I can't do anymore. I have to let this go. 
We don't stop because our work was done. We stop because our work is never done. It's never done. So think about it. With every accomplishment that we achieve in life, there's a rise in responsibility. With every toy we purchase, adult toys, playing outside in, in the world that we live in in Colorado, there's a responsibility to it. It burdens us. What if the people of God become the best place in the world to learn how to rest? What if our exhausted world looks at us and goes, wait a second, you you look like you're really flourishing. You look like you just let things go. What is driving us? What is driving our imagination? Like imagine, if you will, and this is where we're going to wrap things up. Imagine with, you, with me, if you will, what your life could look like. First thing is that Sabbath does is it restores us. Our church is named Restoration because we really believe in the definition that says the return of something to its former owner, place, or condition. It resets us. We have our own ideas, like I said before, about what restores us, and it's not the things that we normally think. The difference between Exodus and Deuteronomy is really interesting. I've read, uh, we read, Sarah read the first one, um, and then the Exodus is, they're different. And I'm going to read Deuteronomy again because there's something unique about Deuteronomy. Because in verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 5, it says, Remember, he does the whole thing. Everybody needs to rest and Sabbath. It says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So why is this a big deal? Why? Moses says, because you were slaves. Moses from God says, you were slaves. You need to remember your liberation. Calling their minds back to that time when all they did was work. Now, if the Sabbath is supposed to restore us back to our initial identity, a factory reset, that we're not driven by taskmasters. Some of you in this room are like, I don't have a taskmaster, like a physical task. You don't have a physical pharaoh in your life. Some of you are like, he's sitting right next to me. No, that like, you don't have a taskmaster as the people of Israel did. But you and I have internal pharaohs. We have that voice inside of us that says, don't stop. You can't stop. You have to prove yourself. You have to achieve. You have to accomplish. You have to produce. You have to be like the rock. You have to be like this super mom on Instagram that looks like she has her whole life together, but yours is falling apart. You have to be like... You have an internal pharaoh. 
and you hear that voice, if I don't get this degree, if I don't get this promotion, if I don't get this house, if I don't accomplish this, if I don't achieve that, that you are a nothing and a nobody. You are driven by this inner voice. You know what, you know what Eugene Peterson calls that inner voice? Your bastard vocation. <laughs> it's church. That is your bastard vocation. That is a a misuse that is a lie. And Sabbath helps us to see the lies. And the lie lives, a lot of it lives in our tech. And we're saved from internal pharaohs. We are God's kids. We are his free people. And and a Sabbath is not just to stop, but it's also to step back in gratitude for the week and the little moments that we see uh, things working how they are intended. This idea of Sabbath is to reweave his purpose in us and through us, to allow our souls to catch up to our bodies. Second thing Sabbath does as we wrap this up is it reforms us. And this is the hard part. It is hard. It's not easy. When you are reforming from malforming, the malforming is the the unintentional formation that has been happening in you and around you. When you are reforming from that malforming, it's not puppies and rainbows. It's not easy. Pete Scazzaro in his book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, which is fantastic, I encourage you to read it, our small group read it together. He says, be willing to tolerate the discomfort necessary for growth. If you're going to move and grow, you have to be willing to tolerate the discomfort. It's like a detox. A number of years ago, Angela and I did the paleo diet or you just like eat meat and whatever. <laughs> it's just like, it's a long story. But the point is like the first two days of it, you know, you're off sugar and all the things. Um, and I felt awful. Like just like I was coming off some sort of a drug high and I was detoxing myself. And it was, it was, it was an awful physical feeling. For some of you, that's what rest is. It's literally you are detoxing. Your body doesn't know what to do with itself. It's hard. If it is challenging, then you know it's working. We do this so our internal pharaoh starts to drown in the sea. Um, John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross, um, he's a church history long time ago. Not going to get into it, but he said this Be suspicious if the cross of Christ does not begin to find you. The cross finds you. When the cross finds you, when it's hard, when you have to die in places, that's a good thing. Be suspicious if the cross of Christ doesn't find you. It will help you face your own death. So for me, I just want to encourage you because sometimes people think, oh, he's got it figured out. Nope. 
Uh, for me, one of the difficult things about teaching on Sunday morning is I feel like there's a performance to it. Like I have to, it has to be really good, engaging, I have to walk away, you know, it's a weird deal. And I would find myself, uh, especially back when we planted the church, that on Saturdays I was restless and uneasy. And I would go into my office about four o'clock in the afternoon and I would work even more, make it really perfect because if, if the, the sermon wasn't good, then people wouldn't come again. And there was just a lot of weird stuff about planting a church and attendance and all that worked up in me and began to realize that um, I was missing my family. I was like missing these critical, beautiful Saturday nights together. So I started a new rhythm, and I decided to not touch my teaching preparation at all on Saturdays. And I would wake up early on Sunday morning, real early. And the more stressed I was, the earlier I would wake up. And on Friday, I would have like teaching brain, and I would be like not, uh, no one would, I would just be kind of irritable and think I wasn't present and um, I wouldn't show up. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, I wouldn't show up in the right headspace. I'd be really nervous about performance and this and that. And all those things you were probably like, yeah, we noticed. <laughs> but it really has been the last bit of my journey in life. Um, I, I used to think Sabbath keeping was selfish. Like it was selfish. And I thought that if I, if I did rest, it was a sign of weakness. Then I had kind of an epiphany of a lifetime. I had been trying to be selfless. In helping everyone else, I'd forgotten myself. I'd become a preacher of the gospel who needed the gospel. <laughs> Big time. And subconsciously, I thought God wanted me to forget about myself so I could serve others. That's not the gospel. Jesus actually loves me too. And I could love others only to the extent that I could recognize God's love for me. And so practically speaking, I had to start paying attention to rest. Sabbath rest. Now, for some of you in the room, a Sabbath rest might need to start with your phone. For some of you, it might be, I've heard a lot of different cool ways to structure a Sabbath. For some of you, it's, you may need to start with like four hours. <laughs> four hours of not doing some tasks around your house. I know some of you are in the room and you're like, Ryan, we literally have a lot of kids. I know, I, listen, you're going to leave here and you're going to feel really discouraged, like there's no way. Maybe, maybe there's some collaboration you could do with the other people in the room that have a lot of kids and like, hey, how could this, how could this work? How does this work for you guys? How does this? God didn't give the Ten Commandments and then say, except for the people that have a lot of kids. And I know, and I'm, I'm not making fun. I'm just, I, I've been there. I've told you guys, some of you guys with a lot of kids, you're, I tell you, you're in the tunnel. And it's just like this visual that I, I remember feeling. And it just felt like we can't go places. We have kids. We can't, you know, we can't sleep. We have kids. 
And it's just like this long, dark tunnel, and there's maybe at the light at the end of it, and only because people told me it is there one day. But I'm just telling you this. Maybe you start with little things. Maybe for some of you, it's a, it's a Sabbath from your phone. It's a Sabbath from technology. It's, I know people that have a Sabbath box, and they put their phone and like their mouse from their computer in there, and they shut it. Maybe for some of you, there's a things left undone journal that you need to write. I didn't get to this this week. Okay. Maybe for some of you, it's an eight-hour thing. Maybe it is a 12-hour thing. Maybe for some of you, you're like, I think we could try 24 hours of rest. What if we habituated this over time? What would this look like? What would you imagine what that would look like? And some of you are sitting here right now and you're like, you are nuts. I'm not trying to create a rule in your life. I'm trying to tell you that God loves you. And that's his intent for you. To experience the rest. You're not going to get everything done. Stop thinking you are couple questions. These are just little fun questions. Um, I mean, maybe have a talk about burnout in your life. Have you experienced it? Are you experiencing it right now? Maybe share that with somebody else in the room. How about this? In what area of your life do you feel a need for constant progress and growth? Maybe it's not even your job. Maybe it's a, a hobby that you feel like you've got to get better at it. And you've got to constantly progress. What does the practice of Sabbath look like for you right now? Some of you are like, zero. I just hope to have coffee at some point. What would the next step look like? If you were really courageous, what would the next step look like? What are your fears and difficulties in practicing this? What would it look like to be a community that rested well? In our crazy, exhausted world, like, kind of peeked in the door and went, what? This looks like something I need to experience, too. Let me pray. Father, you created us. You created us to rest. You created us to live out of our rest. And we learn today that rest means in your presence. That a big, deep breath a trust that we don't have, have to accomplish everything. that things don't have to be complete and finished and perfect. Because you love us. And it turns out that we actually thrive more, we're more present with people, we're more present with our children, we're more focused and alert and energetic 
if we actually rest. That our flourishing actually comes from this place of rest. God, help us to break the inner pharaoh in us. Help us to see that inner pharaoh begin to drown in the sea. And we need that. We desperately, some of us in this room desperately need this. Show us how to do that together. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Ryan read a few verses from Hebrews earlier about rest, and I'd like to read a few verses also from that same passage to, as a challenge directly from Scripture to us about this business of rest. And in this passage, uh, it's speaking of the Israelites as they left their bondage, and Ryan brought out about how they were challenged after they left to not get caught up in the same bind that they were in previously. And uh, this passage talks about how many of them did not enter the rest that's still available. So that's the context as I begin in, verse, in chapter 4, verse 1. So we are bound to worry that some of you might seem to have missed out on God's promise of entering his rest, the promise which is still open before us. For we certainly had the good news announced to us, just as they did, but the word which they heard didn't do them any good, because they were not united in faith with those who heard it. For it is we who believe who enter into the rest. And then later in the chapter, if Joshua had given them rest, you see, he wouldn't be speaking about another subsequent rest. Thus we conclude, there is still a future Sabbath rest for God's people. Anyone who enters that rest will take a rest from their works, as God did from his. So then, let's make every effort to enter that rest. May God bless each one of you with wisdom and how to walk out this word that you've heard this morning. May you find rest in God. May we together bring that part of Tove into our community experience. In the name of Jesus, amen.